Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds Community Radio at Chapel FM Arts Centre. And today we're talking to a young novelist, writer, Sophia Umar. Hello, Sophia. Hi, good to meet you. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about your new novel. Is that your first one? Yeah, yeah, this is my first novel. The Heart Crusher. Mm-hmm. And it's published by Endless Bookcase. And we're going to find out a bit about the, the, the book in a minute, uh, which you're very generously going to donate a copy to yep. to the, yeah. our local library. That's very nice of you. Thank you. Um, so, Sophia, I mean, how when did you start to write? Um, so it was probably when I was in year nine. So I must have been about 13, 14 then. Um, and at that point, it was mostly just for myself. I wasn't really into, like, publishing it. It was just, like... Um, you must have seen those short story competitions that they do for students. I used to enter a lot of those. Um, and so I'll just write my own paragraphs for myself. And then it got to the point where those paragraphs started to like take form. They started to like form a book. And again, I still wasn't sure I was going to publish it. It was just for myself. Um, and then when I got to year 11, so I was about 15, 16 then, and I came across this publishing company called The Endless Bookcase. Uh, and when I reached out to them, they seemed quite impressed with what I had written so far. And so they were like, once you've got it done, you know, get back to us and we'll publish it for you. <laughs> and did anything get you started writing? Were you a big reader? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, when I was at primary school, I used to read a lot of like... Diary of Wimpy Kid books. Those mm. are like my favourite books. <laughs> um, so that's where it sort of started from. And then once I got to high school, I started to grow out of those books a bit. Although I would still read them now. I still would read them now. Um, but I started to read more dystopian books like The Hunger Games, The Maze Runner, Divergent. And then that kind of stemmed my own like writing ideas. I would read those books and think if I was the author, how would I have written the ending differently or how would I have uh, changed certain scenarios? Um, and so from there, I started to get my own ideas from my own books. So yeah, I guess it stemmed from reading a lot. That's an interesting link, isn't it? People who mm. read a lot often write. I don't think it's the other way around very often. But did you have um, did you have writing in, in school or was it just something you did outside? Um, to be honest, it was mostly something that I did outside of school. I think at school, it was, like I said, the short story competitions that I went for, but um, otherwise, no. So that that is something I work on now as an author. I visit schools and I try to promote more creative writing and uh, create opportunities for those children who are like me and have that interest but don't really know where to take it from there. We work quite a lot with First Story. Do, do you know them at all? No, no, I haven't heard of them. I think you should know them, Sophia. They're great. This, it's an organisation. Here's a plug for them. They they are a national organisation. Mm-hmm. They send writers into schools uh, to work with young people. Um, I've uh, I've got I've we've had First Story writers with their young people visiting here quite mm-hmm. a bit and doing broadcasts, and uh, it's good for writers because it's regular work and it's you go into the school and you build a group but it's also great for them to have writers like yourself who love going into schools mm, and, yeah. and, and good communicators so we'll talk about that afterwards but I reckon yeah, they definitely. could really do with you I'm sure they'd love to know about you did you grow up in this area or somewhere far away um so no I was actually born in Leeds mm. and lived here for a few years and then we moved down to Luton and now I've come back to study at the University of Leeds brilliant what are you doing in, in Leeds at the University Arabic and linguistics Fantastic. Yeah, what what year are you in? Uh, so I'm currently in first year. So you you're a really, I mean, you know, this novel you, you finished this two years ago. We probably finished it even yeah. earlier than that. <laughs> so what you were eighteen or nineteen when you finished yeah, it? Yeah. So um, when I was eighteen, it was right around the time my A level started. My book finished. Um, so I was able to send that off for editing right before my exams and then once the exams were done I got my manuscript back and I had to just work through it and fix a few errors and stuff and then by October 2022 it was ready to release and so I took that as a gap year out from uni just to work on promo Um, and yeah I think it's been really good so far That's extraordinary I mean you must have a great capacity for hard work (laughs) to be able to do A-levels 
and write a novel at the same time. That's a mass, massive achievement, and to get and for that novel to be published. I think um, I think for me it worked as a procrastination kind of method. So I got a lot of writing done when I had a lot of revision to be doing because I would like alternate between. Them. <laughs> so I think that's probably why I got a lot of my book done at college. <laughs> well, that's maybe we should all do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, and I mean, how did it feel when the publisher was interested in this? I mean, it felt like it felt surreal to be honest. It just to me, even once the manuscript was ready and they sent the first copy to me, I I still couldn't stop smiling the whole day. I was just smiling so much. I was so happy, um. And still now, I have moments where I just look at my copy on my bookshelf or like right in front of me right now, and I just think, wow, like I actually did that. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, it's a substantial book, <coughs> but it's you know in terms of the heft of it and the number of pages and it's, it's yeah. a huge amount of work has gone into it um and did, did the publisher was interested because of the short story competition is that how they noticed you or did you send um, a, uh, just, no, just so for anybody else interested yeah so um through my school i actually found out about them there was someone f our school that had links to them and so what they wanted is for me to just send my first couple of chapters as a sample and if they approved of it then uh, once the whole manuscript was complete then they would take it further but if they didn't then they would have just rejected it uh, but they were quite impressed and at the time because it was locked down uh, I only talked to them through email they assumed I was a lot older than I was <laughs> so when I got back to them I was like no I'm only 16 they were quite surprised at that um, wow. but yeah they were really supportive as well and then two years after that my book was ready to be released so I'm just interested Sevilla I mean it's had you seen yourself as a professional novelist I mean do you see yourself now as somebody who will make a living from this and this is your life uh, I mean I would love to uh, one of the like misconceptions I had about being an author was that I had this impression I would be a millionaire straight away <laughs> 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 I really thought once my book is released everything will be alright you know I'll, I'll be making tons of money um, so no for yeah. any writers out there that's not really what happens yeah. um, but you do get a lot of experiences from it I think especially with my school visits is something I really enjoy doing working with students and um, I, I don't know I, like you don't know what's <laughs> waiting for me but I would love to see it become a bestseller one day absolutely and I totally resonate with that when I've had my first radio play on the BBC mm -hmm. the, the you know I was very excited and the BBC producer who did it just looked at me and went don't give up your day job. <laughs> so thought, yeah, fair enough. But um, so you've got the book published. You've done the round of publishing. Let's first of all let's yeah. let's we're going to hear something from the yeah. book and just to give a, a, a sort of a, an extract from it to so that we get a flavour of it. But first of all, do you want to say something about the book without giving away too many spoilers in terms of yeah the kind of world that we're in. Um, so obviously my book, the genre for this is dystopian, sci-fi and YA. Um, and one of the big things about dystopian is it likes to point out stuff that are wrong with our society now. Um, so like, for example, in the Hunger Games, we've got our dystopian world um, where uh, we've got a lot of uh, poverty. We've got the districts and we've got the games. Uh, and so in my book, I have this background um, set up called the Civilization Project. And it's this idea where the president, uh, so in my book, we have the president of the world kind of um and what he wants to do is he wants to bring everyone up to the same standard he wants to civilize everyone uh, right now we've got a lot of third world countries he wants to kind of help them to uh get to the standard that we are in england and the usa and so by doing this his idea is to send everyone back to the countries they're from because right now it doesn't matter where you're from everyone is going to get brought to the same standard um, and obviously that provides a lot of conflict because you're disrupting the people who are quite happy without your input without the president's input um and there's also the uh issue with what happens if someone is from two places where would they go back to and so like, a lot of different ideas are sort of explored through that um but my book follows a teenage girl who has telekinesis the ability to control things with things with her mind sorry um and it's through a device that she has in her brain and suddenly a lot of people are interested in this device and especially the president and after she kills her own mum using this device by accident, by the way, she doesn't do this on mm. purpose. <laughs> um, now she's on the run. She's a wanted criminal. Everyone's after the device. And um, yeah, now she's got to try to break out of her seat. Wow. That's just <laughs> extraordinary. A quick summary, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, very interesting premise. And uh, the, I mean, it's also, I suppose, has some sort of political resonance in yeah, terms of... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's that. Have you had any sort of feedback about that in terms of that that I that kind of yeah resonance of it? 
Um, yeah, I mean, especially from schools, again, uh, another thing I kind of bring up in my book is this idea of what happens with the gifted and talented students and how they are favoured over people whose abilities tend to get underlooked, you know, overlooked, sorry, um, and don't get recognised. And so I do take a bit of a stab at the system with that as well because um, I do feel that there are a lot of students that might have a passion for sports or art or something that you wouldn't really see through science, English and maths and so yeah I want to work on that now as well to help those students get somewhere too Fantastic (laughs) Sophia let's, if you wouldn't mind reading something, Mm -hmm. you're going to read out a short passage from, from from the novel, that would be wonderful the listeners, if you can hear any sort of drumming that is because we're a building where lots of stuff happens <laughs> and upstairs martin has got his music group so that's in case you're wondering <laughs> Sophia. um so this is chapter five i'll just read out as much as i can from this <clears throat> relocated the weight of it is like a block of ice sinking its way down my body leaving cold shivers to run shakily down my arms and legs my heart swells in my chest and a lump forms in my throat they can't take martin from me they can't I look at him now to see his expression. I can't look at him at anything because my eyes are clouded with tears. I feel them slide down my cheeks like a, cheeks like a mother's gentle hand stroking their child in reassurance, but nothing can reassure me now. I can't see Lee from here now. He's out of view from the cameras, but I know he probably feels the same despair as I do. Martin is the world to us, the backbone to our lives. There's no way we'll ever manage without him, especially with Lee now in charge of the search group. The president dismisses the crowd, and everyone begins filing out of the square. When I get back to the store, Martin has already started packing his bags. I watch him for a while, not saying anything for fear my emotions will take over. It's easier to stay silent. It keeps the tears at bay. I'm sorry this had to happen, Beck, he says without looking up at me. His voice is soft and frail, but I gotta go. I don't have much of a choice. You already know it's a rare opportunity for a regional like me to get given a job like this, and if I turn this down, then any chance of employment I have after that would be diminished. They'll take the store from us, and then what? He shakes his head. I can't risk it. This kind of thing isn't something you can just turn down and everything will be alright. If I turn down this job, President King will turn me down. That was Sophia Umar uh, reading From the Heart. Crusher, her first novel, and I'm sure there'll be many more. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, you would you'd chosen some music for us, um, so uh, yeah, Game of Survival. Tell us about that and why you chose it. Um, I guess I've heard a lot about Game of Survival being the typical dystopian music. Uh, a lot of people say it suits the Hunger Games and the Maids Runner vibes, and when I kind of listened to it, I thought, yeah, it does quite suit my own book's vibes as well. It just um, it just really gives off dystopian vibes. <laughs> Let's hear it. So as we were listening to that, we were mm-hmm. talking with Agnes, who's on the desk, and we were just, um, yeah, we were talking about the kind of filmic potential of your novel. Has that, mm-hmm. is that, have you thought about that? 
Uh, I do think about that a lot. <laughs> I think even as I was, like, once I realised that my book has a possibility of actually becoming published, then my mind straight away jumped to the idea of it turning into a movie. Um, and I do think that somewhere along the line I would love to see it become a movie. I think it would be quite cool. <laughs> and have you thought about other forms of writing apart from novels, for instance, films or television, or is it just you concentrating on um, the novels? So for now, I have got, obviously, my first book, The Heart Crusher, um, but I'm hoping for it to be a trilogy, so I'm currently writing the second and third one. Uh, but after that, I'm open to other projects as well. Um, I think script writing is something that is quite cool. Um, poetry, to be honest, I don't have as much of an interest for, so I would probably stick to more fiction books. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely if you want to be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do definitely. poetry. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, I mean, to go back to how it felt this this to get mm-hmm. to get this published, but also, yeah, how, I was wondering about your family, for instance. Did, uh, had, did they know you were writing this piece of fiction? Uh, so to begin with, I didn't really voice the fact that I was into writing because it was just more like a small hobby. Uh, but once I realised it had the potential to get published, obviously I knew I'd have to have my parents supporting me for that. And they did. Um, they were like really impressed with that and quite surprised too that, you know, not a lot of people from my background, like as young Muslim uh, females, actually go into writing. Uh, I think I'm probably the first from my family and from my community too to go for this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so once it was released, my parents were <laughs> well impressed with it. The first book is dedicated to them uh, for all the help and support. Um, and my sisters too, I've got three younger sisters they've been full of support as well especially my sister Samaya she's literally like my go-to person for all my ideas I keep her up to like 4am sometimes just giving her all my ideas and telling her to tell me if they work or not (laughs) so yeah so my family have shown a lot of support for this how great to have that reflecting person to be be with to try (laughs) your ideas on have you are you inspiring them to write <laughs> to be honest, I don't think any of them are into writing. My my sister Samaya that I mentioned, she uh, she used to be really against reading growing up, mm. and you know they used to like to call me a bookworm sometimes <laughs> for the amount of reading that I do. But I think in the last couple of years, I've slowly started to get them on board as well. Now she reads probably more than I do, um, and my youngest sis- my youngest sister as well. I got her to read my book, and she's like now she's like begging me every single day, "Can you hurry up and get the second one done? When is it gonna get done?" So I don't know if it was a good idea really to have made her read it so soon. <laughs> Um, but yeah definitely I've got them into reading now which is a big achievement for me brilliant and they might all become novelists you know what would that be be like the Brontes (laughs) Um, and what um, what about your 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 friends because I mean obviously you're at university you're doing Mm -hmm. those subjects you talked about Arabic and linguistics and you know how do they know that you've written a novel you're a published novelist um yeah, so I, I try to, I, I get nervous to sort of say it to people. <laughs> so if it comes up in conversation, I kind of slip it in as a casual, oh, I, I am a teen author as well, by the way. <laughs> and then just see where it goes from there. But a, a lot of my friends at uni are aware of this um, and they're quite impressed and happy for me too. Um, and back home in Luton as well, a lot of my friends uh, were, were really happy to see that this is why I achieved, especially when I chose to not mention it until it was done. So I didn't really tell anyone I planned on becoming an author until it was ready to be released. Um, and yeah, and I think even just in the community in Luton as well, they've done a lot for me, like on the radios. And uh, we had a book launch in Luton as well at the town hall. And we had a lot of local councillors attend that. We had a book launch in Leeds as well, actually, at the Leeds Civic Hall. And we had the mayor attend as well. So <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> Fantastic. So do you feel you're connected to the writing community in Leeds? Um, I'm not so sure about the writing community. I think having moved up here now for uni, I'm trying to reach out now, uh, like I have with yourselves, and um, trying to connect with the writing-based uh, stuff that go yeah. on here, uh, because I've definitely done that in Luton, established a few links there, but now I'm working on that now here in Leeds. And just, you mentioned the... the you said teen author. Is mm-hmm. that how you see yourself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For now, while, before I turn 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is how I see myself as. And I, I like to say that to show, especially when I do these school visits, a, a lot of them assume I'm 26 and I have to say, no, 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 I'm a teen author. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to show them that, you know, I'm not that much older than them. So this is where they could be too in a few years' time if they, you know, really put their mind to it. So a teen author is somebody <clears throat> who is a teenager in writing as opposed to writing for teenagers is, is the book for anybody or do you see it as, as from teenage fiction uh you know i hadn't really thought of it like that until now as like a teen author as in writing for teens i've mm. always meant because i am a teenager uh but my target audience is you know teenagers high school kids uh but i've had a lot of adults who have read my book and 
really loved it as well. Mm. Um, so mm. yeah, I guess it's just targeted at teens, young adults, and just your general adults. Anybody, too. anybody, really, anybody, yeah, definitely, absolutely. Anybody. <laughs> and Sophia, I mean, it, uh, you're working on this on the trilogy, so mm -hmm. you're working on the second novel. Do you have a deadline for that? When is there a publication date? Is that again with endless? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, again with endless bookcase. Uh, the good thing about them is that it's not as much pressure is more once I'm ready for it to be done we'll work on getting it released mm. um, so like as with the first book once I got back to them and said it's, it's done now you know what what should we do from here then we sort of set the deadline for October and then we spent a few months just working on editing and getting it uh, prepared so again yeah it's just once I've got this draft mm. complete I'll get mm. in touch with them and we'll take it from there and it's just to, to go back to the subject and the genre the, the, <laughs> the kind of dystopia dystopian yeah. fiction is that something that say young Muslim women like you read I mean I'm not I'm not I don't really want to sort of draw distinctions mm. but you know are you are you exceptional in that regard uh I'm not really sure I mean the the high school that I went to was a majority Muslim uh high school um and I think a lot of us were into these kind of books but I think that's the kind of distinction I wanted to make as well uh that you know uh, as Muslims, we do still read this kind of stuff and do still watch this sort of stuff and enjoy it. And write it. Uh, and write it as well, yeah, definitely. So that's the kind of message I want to get across to my not to my own people too, you know, that you can do this as well. Don't let being a Muslim be something that stands in the way. You can go out there and write your own books, create your own movies if you want mm. to. Um, but yeah, but I target all people as well, all young audiences. <laughs> and, I mean, finally, uh, you're... you're, you're to go back to the the schools work you're doing mm -hmm. so have you just have you approached schools or do schools know about you anyway um so it varies some schools i like to start off with i would approach them and then uh wait for them to get back to me and then i would come and visit uh but recently i've had a lot more schools reaching out to me so uh there was one in nottingham and one in newark as well that have reached out to me and said you know we've heard about what you've done in your schools in Newton and other places and can you come and visit ours uh, and so I did and so you know it's it's good being in those kind of environments too where you have like majority white students and then again showing them yeah. that they too can achieve this sort of stuff it's been a really good experience I think and do you what do you do with them uh, so I deliver presentations and this is where I just talk about my journey and share how I got to where I am for any yeah. of those people who are into writing um, and I also deliver workshops, and this is where I work with uh, a group of students, maybe about 30, that the school have picked who are talented in writing, um, and we work together to kind of break down their own stories. So I'll, I'll go um, into detail with them about their character, the plot, the setting, and help them to design their own stories. Sounds absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Uh, well, I mean, I really wish you every success Sophia with the book I mean I'm Thank sure you. it's doing very well already it's been out for a while and with the next book too and uh, yeah I mean thank you so much for, for coming on, on Love the Words mm -hmm. and talking about uh, it's been great and thanks for reaching out to us <laughs> and uh, yeah I'm sure the schools who you've the, <coughs> the school groups you visit mm -hmm. will be immensely appreciative and will learn a great deal from yeah. from you and I, we will have a chat about a first story afterwards because mm -hmm. I think they would love to meet you so Sophia before we go um Perhaps you could tell us where we can get a hold of The Heart Crusher. Mm -hmm. So it's available on Amazon, both as paperback and Kindle edition as well. So whichever one you prefer reading, both options are available. Um, and it's also on Waterstones, uh, but only online. So you won't find it in Waterstone stores for now. But if you go on the website and search it up, you should be able to find it there. It should be in the shop there. <laughs> I know. I've tried pitching it a few times, but... <laughs> Yes, I know. They're quite difficult to get into, but I'm, I have a feeling it will be there. Hopefully, yeah. Um, great. So thank you. You have one final piece of music, which is called Dynasty? Dynasty. Dynasty. Yeah. Oh, I'm an old-fashioned person. I say <laughs> Dynasty. Uh, but, um, and it's by M-I-A-A. I'm, I'm complete. I'm so useless. I mean, have you heard of them, Agnes? No, because she, she's quite young. <laughs> so tell us about this track and why you chose it. Uh, so again, um, I just picked it because I felt like it just resonated with my, my book a lot. Um, a lot of people do tend to use this music to make edits out of movies and shows that have similar vibes to my book. Um, and it, it just talks about like loss, which I think is a big theme in my book, and betrayal as well. Um, so yes, I think it quite linked to those themes in my book. Thank you so much for coming on the programme. Yeah, thank you for having me. Some days it's hard 
was a fool Or you A thief Made it through the maze To find my one in a million And now you're just a page torn from the story Love the commas, love the apostrophes, love the colons and the question marks, love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita, no, no, Lita, per amarti, no, no, Lita, per Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come on and fly with me Let's fly, let's fly away Come Just like any other ordinary day, I got up at 5.30am, fed the cats and let them out to enjoy the early sunshine in the back garden. I had breakfast and tidied around before showering dressing for my usual walk to work at Discovery Channel's retail headquarters in Berkeley, California. I didn't indulge in any media before leaving home, no radio or TV, and rarely a phone call. This was my third year of employment, and my current position as executive assistant to the head of marketing continued to be interesting. My American colleagues were amused by the English woman walking to work, always intrigued which route I had taken. Did I arrive via the park and Cedar Street, or had I visited the ocean along the way? It was always an opportunity to clear my head before the continuously busy working day ahead. Today, I was musing about a conversation I had had yesterday about recently receiving my American residency. I was talking about how in 1998, I had completed the mighty document without the assistance of an attorney. 
As I walked along, I smiled, remembering the one error I had made in the application document, namely specifying the date when marrying my American husband, English style, day, month, year. This did raise eyebrows with immigration officers. However, the marriage certificate corrected my mistake using the American date system, month, day, year. It took me quite a while to make the mental adjustments in adopting the American time style. I was now closing in on 4th Street and wondering if I would be asked to go get bagels for the morning break. This day was of particular note as it was the annual conference for the retail sector of Discovery Channel. At the time, there were 126 stores nationwide, with all 126 managers heading to Berkeley for the conference. In preparation for this event, the overall president of Discovery Channel based at the Media Centre in Bethesda, Maryland, had journeyed a few days earlier to Berkeley with her entourage. Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide starry-eyed Once I get you up there When I entered the building, it immediately seemed strange. The receptionist was not at her station to offer the usual early morning banter. There was not much noise from the building, which was usually filled with voices, even though conversations couldn't be discerned. I walked into the main area to be met by a secretary from another department, shouting, "'Another plane has gone into the Twin Towers.' I didn't understand what this meant. I entered my boss's office where many were gathered around the screen. I quietly asked, what's going on? We are being attacked. Just watch and listen. This was my first experience of a real-time drama unfolding before my eyes and ears. I then realised the media was attracting a global audience and therefore billions of people were also experiencing a real-time drama. I was overwhelmed with concern that my aged parents in England were also witnessing this horror. I went to my desk, which was situated in an isolated niche along the main corridor. I received emails... Look, they're jumping out the windows of the Twin Towers. I couldn't look. My stomach was churning. I was at a loss. I went to the back of the building and stepped outside to breathe and recover a sense of equilibrium. All planes over America have been grounded. The skies were empty and vacant, just full of sky and eerily silent. Even birdsong was not to be heard, and the noisy 101 highway muted. I re-entered the building to be met by the images and sounds of the Twin Towers collapsing. As a defence mechanism, I think, I went in search of the executive assistant who had coordinated all the travel arrangements for the managers coming to the annual conference day in Berkeley. She was working her way through the list, keeping focus and a level head. She had accounted for most. I offered assistance and went to the kitchen to make her a coffee. I welcomed the opportunity to do something banal and yet helpful in the moment. I visited the mailroom to ensure colleagues were holding up. They were glued to the TV and I didn't disturb My boss was busy contacting numerous friends and colleagues in New York, and down the corridor the president of Discovery Channel was in the conference room and in constant contact with her media workforce back east. 
everyone was asked to remain in the building until announcements would be made. Time passes. I check in with my boss, who is totally absorbed in TV real-life coverage. I witness never-to-be-forgotten images, grey, dust-covered people running and walking away from the destroyed Twin Towers, the soundtrack, a constant glare of emergency sirens and tortured voices of the narrators and journalists, I return to the executive assistant to get an update. United Airlines had contacted her, confirming there were two managers who had boarded planes at 5am Eastern Time at JFK Airport, New York. More information will be available when received. President George W. Bush is attending a junior school and the news of the events is delivered and filmed in front of the children. He assumes a gaze of disbelief and what should I do in equal measure. This real live drama has unknown principal players. It's such a lovely day. Just say the words and we'll beat the birds down to Acapulco Bay. It is perfect for a flying honeymoon. They say, come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. The president of Discovery Channel summons a meeting for all the senior staff in the conference room. I provide water and coffee for all. No bagels today. My colleague is contacted by United Airlines with an update. One of the managers is on a plane that has been diverted to Nebraska when instructed to be grounded. One manager is still missing and unaccounted for. I return to my desk to make notes in the Today file. My boss was so busy I created a today file to keep close records of his schedules in Berkeley and Bethesda. I spent most of my time making travel arrangements, booking business or first-class flights, coordinating with the chauffeur drivers when to pick him up and deliver to the preferred hotels and venues. I'm kept busy enough managing the meetings, lunches, dinners and other activities in his working agenda. In this moment, I contemplate the many cancellations I might have to make in the days immediately following the terrifying events that are happening now. I write the date, September 11, 2001, followed by work suspended today because of extraordinary events nationwide. We are all called to a meeting and told to go home. My boss says he will call me later. Before leaving, I check in with the colleagues still tracking the managers. Still no confirmation about the one person missing. I suggest I might stay with her, but she insists her boss is remaining on hand as a support she needs. Another colleague offers to give me a lift closer to my home. I accept the kind offer. I'm dropped on University Avenue just a short walk away. It's close to 11am Pacific Standard Time. I notice the quiet, no one about, shops empty of people, roads without the usual noisy traffic, pedestrian crossing lights going from red to green and beeping to allow invisible people safe passage across the empty streets. I enter through the back door to be welcomed by two enthusiastic cats who might deserve extra treats now that I am home. My husband wakes up and is rather startled that I should be home at this time, he has missed the events that are gripping the nation and the world.
I simply say, I think World War Three has begun, followed by, would you like some coffee and breakfast? He agrees. I'll put the TV on for you so you can get up to speed. I make waffles and soft eggs and give the cats their treats before they return to enjoy the garden. The wall-to-wall coverage on all TV channels is a never-been-seen-before experience. The mystery as to who has performed these acts is being unravelled. Could it be terrorists led by Osama bin Laden? The mayor of New York is trying to calm the panic raging in the streets and alleys while summoning more and more emergency workers to the scene. Wall Street is within range of feeling the force of the falling of the towers and has suspended all transactions. Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide, starry-eyed, once I get you up there. As I enjoy breakfast, I'm thinking, this is a theatre war on a very low budget. A one-off event to try out the audience. Like all Broadway or Western shows, if it is successful there may be the possibility of getting other producers involved to fund a repeat performance at another location. There has been so much diligent preparation, thorough planning behind the scenes. The principal players who have been so carefully cast and chosen for this action-packed scenario worked tirelessly to acquire the necessary skills to support their roles. It is a tight company. The competition to be one of the starring parts of the pilots was fierce. They were chosen by seeking expert advice. The cloak-and-dagger atmosphere to prepare for this surprise event was intoxicating for the actors. Everyone studied the script with alarming thoroughness. All doubts and possible flaws regarding delivery were addressed well in advance. A rehearsal was scheduled and enacted, unseen by anyone in authority or opposition to this blockbuster. An ambitious project aiming to grab a worldwide audience within minutes of the start of Act One, Scene One. I cleared away the breakfast dishes to the kitchen and then stepped outside to listen to the silence of the skies once more. I did the washing up by hand and wondered what I might make for dinner later. I made more coffee and ventured into the front room to stare at the TV and listen. The latest news was there was still a commercial plane flying and refusing to be grounded. This was being tracked over Pennsylvania, United Airlines Flight 93. My father-in-law phoned from home in Santa Cruz and was happy to hear all was well with us both and that I deserved a day off considering the current events. We arranged to meet for breakfast in San Francisco next week when the in-laws will be doing some shopping. Speak later. I checked in on the TV and was impressed by the repetition of footage capturing the catastrophic events with narrators adding their spin. New home movies were being offered from residents living close to the Twin Towers. Fatigue was beginning to take hold, and so I diverted myself with gardening, attending to the tomatoes I was nurturing for the first time. I sat in the sunshine for a while and enjoyed the rays and the quiet. A hummingbird darted by to distract me further. 
What a beautiful sight and sound was this. To hear the rapid beating of the wings for those few moments seemed to calm me. When I returned to viewing, the live drama news had arrived. The commercial plane had nose-dived in Pennsylvania and was completely destroyed, suggesting all passengers and crew had perished. My heart sank. This couldn't possibly include the Discovery Channel manager heading for Berkeley. Once I get you up there, I'll be holding you so near. You may hear all the angels cheer because we're together. I prepared dinner and settled for an easy cook. Fresh pasta with a smoked salmon and broccoli cheese sauce, followed by fruits and ice cream. There was a bottle chilling in the fridge, and starters would be hummus and olives with breadsticks, sorted. My husband was taking all the phone calls from family members and friends wanting to share their versions of the day, all very grateful to be in their own homes and safe for now some bewildered and others offering theories as to what is happening. The term ground zero was being used to describe the Twin Towers rubble. After dinner, I received a phone call from my boss. He confirmed my fears that one of the managers was indeed on Flight 93. He had spoken with her close family and had received instructions from the president of Discovery Channel about tomorrow. I was asked to be at my desk at the usual time, and he will see me then. The evening was still media-led, with further insight being delivered by the exhausted journalists and emergency workers. Images of people walking away walking towards their destinations and yet dazed by the unfamiliarity of walking as a form of transport. Jargon was emerging to make sense of this extraordinary sequence of events on this particular day. Forever captured by the American date, 9-11. That night I did manage some sleep and woke early, The usual routine kicked in and I dressed in comfortable, smart clothes. The TV and radio were switched off. My walk to work was slower than usual, almost as if I didn't really want to be there. On arrival, the receptionist asked after my welfare and would I include her on the bagel run today. I was positive to all her suggestions. I went to my desk and my boss called me on the phone. Please come and see me as soon as you're settled. Of course, give me five minutes. I opened the Today file and noted the date and what time I had arrived. 9-12-2001, 6.55am Pacific Standard Time. I picked up a notebook and went into my boss's office. He proceeded to tell me that he had written the obituary for the manager who had sadly lost her life yesterday. Would I please immediately type this up, as the president will be arriving at 8am to approve the document, which will be sent to Discovery Channel for transmission in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. The tribute to the manager will also include one minute of silence on air. I set about the task immediately, taking lots of deep breaths to focus. My hands felt heavy. My fingers were determined and sharp. I triple-checked the spelling and presented the layout to assist in maximum ease for the reader-speaker. I delivered the printed document and received approval from my boss. He suggested I begin the bagel trail and invited everyone working today to enjoy a break at 8.30am in the kitchen. 
He will cover the expense personally and offered more than enough cash. I will bring a receipt as usual. I toured the building and received everyone's orders. I was grateful to be walking down 4th Street with a large order for the bagel shop and an opportunity to peep in the artisan shops along the way as a distraction. Weather-wise, it's such a cuckoo day. You just say those words and we'll take our birds down to Acapulco Bay. It's so perfect for a flying honeymoon. Oh, babe, come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly. The day after the real live media drama was inevitably an anti-climax. To learn later that President George W. Bush had dispatched any bin Laden family members out of the country on private planes and ordered CIA and FBI operatives to immediately fly to Hollywood for conversations with disaster movie directors to try and anticipate what might happen next with the terrorist plot. In true American fashion, the scammers and con artists were in full flight mode, setting up bogus help the victims of 9-11 accounts and stealing millions of innocent dollars before being found out and closed down. The atmosphere in the kitchen was understandably subdued as we ate the bagels with fresh orange juice and or coffee. At the appointed time, we gathered once more around the screens, this time to witness the tribute on Discovery Channel the words I had typed were spoken with honest passion. The one-minute silence that followed seemed to last a very long time and was very loud. Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words, from East Leeds FM. (laughs) 